Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Wow, classic night tonight at Oracle as the Warriors, despite a Kevin Durant injury, hold off Houston to take a three games to two lead. Also got to get to Bucks Celtics, maybe do a little bit of a post-mortem here on the Celtics, just in terms of what went wrong for them this season. And then we got to talk about the last of our position groups heading into free agency, the center crop, a lot of really interesting guys and the question of where the line gets drawn in terms of who gets paid and who doesn't in that group is going to be very interesting. But let's start with that Warriors win Kevin Durant with about two minutes remaining in the third suffered a calf strain after the Warriors were just about done blowing a 20-point lead with one of the worst quarters of offensive basketball that you'll see in a long time and really even after having a chance to go up 25 at the end of the first and just missing a bunch of shots and turning it over so uh, that part of the game will be largely forgotten I would imagine KD shoots a jumper on the right baseline goes to run back down court and looked around like he had gotten kicked in the calf or something a lot of people were fearing the worst as far as an Achilles I didn't think it was going to be an Achilles though frankly because you never see an Achilles where a guy doesn't at least go down for a while and I know people are like oh well Kobe was able to walk afterwards yeah he was down on the ground for 20 seconds and then he was walking at an extremely slow pace whereas KD he was moving you could tell he wasn't like that worried it seemed like I mean he obviously wasn't happy that he had to come out of the game but he was able to move over to the bench pretty well it wasn't like oh man this thing is just not working at all he was kind of walking like he had a calf strain and i i've had that injury before it's it's very helpful to have had as many injuries as as i've had when looking at these things and uh someone said oh well he's walking with his feet flat that means that he probably tore his achilles that's not consistent with a calf strain and that's not wasn't really true in my experience for me you walk with your foot flat because to walk normally you would have to contract your calf and push off and that's what hurts so you want to just walk in a way where you don't have to push off at all it's not gonna stretch it out to just have your foot flat normally so anyway everyone was going crazy there i i felt better but the reality is for the warriors going forward hard to imagine that he's gonna play in the rest of the series agreed i'm we don't know the severity duran is going to have an mri on thursday after record this it, but i mean there are a bunch of proxies you could use but i mean think about that even if this goes seven a game seven will be on sunday afternoon i i believe 12 30 pacific time so that would be a really really quick turnaround for durant and i mean when you consider the physicality of this series and the aggressiveness it's not always played at a fast pace but there's a lot of intensity going on that does seem really unlikely and i think the the way to go from that durant injury is just to talk about stephen curry tonight so before durant went down he was having another rough performance to me it wasn't quite at the level of i believe that was game three that he was just off and then he was better in game four 
nine points, four of 14 from the field, one of a three, couple of bad turnovers, just looked out of sorts, forced a few shots. And then after Durant went down, Curry played the entire second half and Clay Thompson came in for Durant, played the entire rest of the game. He had a short rest because he was getting his normal rest when Durant got hurt. And then Curry, so he was four of 14 before, after 16 points on five and nine shooting, two or three from three, looked more comfortable driving, hitting his floater. And I know some will go overboard and say, oh, it was, you know, 15, 16 Curry all over again. It wasn't that, and it wasn't those same Warriors, but it did look more like that Curry than we have seen most recent times. Yeah, I think mostly just a lot of high pick and roll against the Rockets, and there's more alacrity to the Warriors' actions. They're able to cause more confusion than they normally do. Guys are just moving faster. KD does not cut fast. He does not move fast. Every once in a while, he'll get a backdoor, but he, he generally will not do that. You can, he can kind of be held off the ball and slowed down, and he'll kind of give up a, on a given possession. So I, I do think they'll have a chance to get some more system buckets now going forward, and they did here. Also, another thing was that Austin Rivers, who had been pretty good defensively in the series, really got cooked both one-on-one by Steph. Then he had some mental errors. He tried to switch on a baseline out of bounds and gave up a pass right under the hoop to Kevon Looney for a foul. And he was so bad that they actually went back to Clint Capella for the last two minutes and 30 seconds or so. Uh, and Rivers also, you know, negative 20 in this game. It was one of six, oh, four on three. So did not have the touch shooting the ball either. For Houston's standpoint, I mean, these minute totals for both teams are really getting to be like both coaches started going deep to, into the well early. I mean, KD has been playing, you know, 43 minutes a game since like game five of the Clippers series, I think essentially. And not closing that series out certainly probably hurt the Warriors not not getting one of those games in Houston, you know, and now KD is probably going to miss the, the rest of the series. It, if with an overuse injury, you never know whether it would or wouldn't have happened with the number of minutes that he's playing, but certainly you're at an increased risk for it, just like Chris Paul was last year. James Harden, really, really interesting game for him. When he attacked, he was absolutely fantastic. He was 31 points, eight assists, 10 of 16 from the field. I mean, this has got to be the most efficient game that he's had against Golden State. He did not miss a two-point attempt in this game. Seven of seven on two-pointers. And he was really carving them up in pick and roll, but did not get a a ton of help uh, from his teammates uh, with 12 of 41 overall three-point shooting by then. But then Harden also was curiously absent in the fourth quarter. But I mean, they still were scoring pretty well. You know, I mean, they outscored him 29 to 15 in the third and had 27 points in the fourth of the Warriors managed 32. What did you think of his night? Was Does he deserve criticism for not being more aggressive in the fourth quarter? I don't think so because the Rockets were scoring quite well. There were actually some parallels to me and it was so int- so surprising to see the Warriors do this because the Rockets have at moments in this series. I thought what Warriors were doing was kind of like that parallel with Curry. And so what I mean by that is trying to make sure that other guys beat you. And so when try to force that player to give up the ball and when they give up the ball, try to make sure that they don't get it back. And I mean, I've been talking for years about how Harden and really those OKC brethren, Durant is a, Durant and Westbrook too, but those guys are all susceptible to ball denials. And what I found compelling about the way the Warriors did it was that they were more zealous about it than usual. And I thought that contributed to other guys getting clean looks. And I, uh, this, the number that I had in my head was that the Rockets scored on eight of 12 possessions and during a key stretch of the game. And two of those 12, they just didn't get a shot off. Like they, 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 yeah. you, those, and those plays were important. But if a team is scoring that well, and more importantly, you're looking at 
process over results, they're getting clean looks. And Harden's one basket in that time was an open layup. They had a series of open layups and open threes. And if, I mean, if you're giving up other, you're giving up clean looks to other guys, you know, maybe there are times when that's necessary because like, let's say Draymond Green's not in the game or Draymond Green is in severe foul trouble as he was for a lot of the fourth quarter, then maybe you're handling things a little bit differently. But no, I mean, James Harden's goal is his job is to make sure that the offense is flowing well and the offense was flowing well. I'm of two minds about this. He did get basically a one minute rest in the second half after a two minute rest in the first half. He played 45 minutes. He was clearly exhausted down the end. That showed up uh, on defense when he couldn't box out Kevon Looney. On... Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, I have big issues with Harden's defense in this game. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he definitely was tired there. And then on offense, they did kind of get some like BS free throws on plays that like weren't really actually creating an advantage. And you just go into a guy, you know, the Chris Paul special. He's become completely unwatchable, by the way, uh, and really struggled tonight, three of 14. But just like because he's now not able to really score conventionally against this team, he's just re- resorting to like flopping and barreling into guys on every play. And because he's not actually doing all the other awesome things that he used to do, it's just even more annoying now. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it works. He's doing whatever he can, blah, blah, blah. He's such a smart player. Reggie, Reggie Miller said it at one point when he uh, tied up Draymond Green and then uh, flopped. And Draymond gave him a couple of little nudges that enabled him to flop at various points in the game. Uh, but they also had some like crazy shots at the end of the shot clock at, at points. Um, but they were pretty efficient in that fourth quarter. It really was just the other end, I, I think, that killed them. So, you know, Harden definitely could have settled things down, could have taken more shots down the end. But the, the offense was not the problem. It was an extremely slow paced quarter in which they only got up 16 shots uh, overall i want to throw out one stat just because i think i think this is telling about this series and sure it's probably a more it's it's an extreme thing and you're dealing with small sample sizes here but the warriors have a 105.3 defensive rating when draymond green has been on the floor 204 minutes in the 41 minutes he has not played it's a 131 and interestingly even though draymond and steph curry's minutes largely overlap though curry has missed a little bit of extra time due to foul trouble and a few other things the split doesn't happen with him either it's just draymond green he's the only guy where the warriors have a defensive rating over 110 and it's when he's on the when he's off the floor and for draymond it's 131 yeah and that's even more extreme because a lot of those minutes that draymond doesn't play are the like cp only minutes at the start of the second and fourth quarter uh at least in most games tonight it was uh harden starting both of those quarters um kevon looney was fantastic in this game on the offensive glass both in the first half and in the fourth i mean the offensive rebounding in a lot of ways told the tale of this game the rockets started getting a ton of offensive rebounds in the third as they made their comeback other than that the warriors really controlled the offensive glass and of the warriors last 14 points seven were second chance points you know steph curry got an offensive rebound got fouled there's that looney offensive rebound for a clay three as well a key point of this game Draymond green could have gotten a sixth foul and instead got a charging call on chris paul i mean that one was extremely borderline you know just probably just a straight up 50 50 call i mean i think it's just stupid that that should be a charge that falling down 35 feet from the basket it can get you a call but so be it you know that's how it's called and he did get that one and then immediately afterwards hit a huge three off of a clay thompson assist of all things uh in an isolation against capella but that that could have been a huge play and then really the warriors were up eight with 230 left and it's pretty amazing to think about the warriors in close games what they are now when back in 2015-16 this team was like the greatest 
greatest clutch team of all time and just had all these amazing comebacks and you know it was unbeatable down the stretch of games until the very last game that they played in the 2016 finals to now be this team where it's like oh an eight point lead with 230 remaining you're like chewing your nails if you're a Warriors fan well it's more like what things were before that I was thinking during the last minute of this game that it reminded me of game six in 2013 against Denver yeah that game when they were up like I think they're up seven with about a minute to go and they nearly blew it Jarrett Jack threw a ball to the Nuggets and a few other things and I mean I was kind of people know that I'm I'm a very processed guy with the end of games and the Warriors did a couple of interesting things one they did something that I like which was that they they instead of immediately calling the timeout they inbounded the ball I I can't remember who inbounded I think it was Draymond got it to Steph Curry but Steph Curry was standing basically right on the baseline and got immediately doubled and so Curry made the right decision and called timeout they still had two remaining at at that point and then despite you know not really having to worry about an eight second violation or anything else like that Kerr immediately calls or I mean not immediately but after they fulfill the timeout calls the second timeout to advance the ball now the Warriors end up throwing it in the backcourt and and they and they get through that possession okay but burning both timeouts in that fashion almost opened the door for what would have been an even like a really catastrophic turnover late which somehow became not catastrophic not a turnover and two points for Clay Thompson yeah talking about the turnovers first I I mean that is the downside of your that strategy that you have of hey get the ball in bounds immediately but you know maybe try and catch the ball so you're not like two inches from the baseline if you're Steph Curry and then I think probably what Kerr told Sean Livingston was all right if you have any question about your ability to get the ball in bounds if nothing comes open right away you take the timeout and advance it because where they didn't bound it to Curry they couldn't advance it so he's dead in the in the corner a very difficult area to inbound without inbounding it to someone who's going to get trapped immediately I think that's what Kerr wanted to avoid it also seemed like Sean Livingston sort of like fumbled the pass when the referee handed it to him uh and so that might have been part of that too but anyway that 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 ended up working out okay and then that last play James Harden drives after Iguodala made one or two free throws that gets a layup goes for the quick two when they're down five not a a great decision especially with only one timeout left and then Chris Paul is standing right next to Clay Thompson and just for some reason just starts looking around and doesn't deny him and bounce they get it into Clay he dribbles into the front court and then gives it up to Iguodala who doesn't want to get fouled even though they're up three I mean at at that point you're probably fine getting fouled you're going to hit one out of two you would think and you're still fine in that situation but uh he got it out to clay's hands and then clay got trapped on the sideline there's a still photo of his foot out of bounds as he tried to pivot and turn while he's still holding onto the ball but that's one where the referee it's just absolutely impossible for him to see that he's uh, standing a foot away and you're like oh man you're a foot away how do you not see that well he's actually too close and now keep in mind this is a full court situation it's hard to get into position if you're that close for a six foot seven guy with the ball over his head you can't have the field of vision to see the guy with the ball over his head and his foot being out of bounds and you're also watching for any kind of contact or a foul to take place uh, with the guy's hand so that's and that's also one of those ones where you got to be a thousand percent sure that you saw it and it, they didn't see it but Thompson's pass gets deflected Eric Gordon almost gets it runs into Sean Livingston's leg some people wanted to follow on that I mean I think Sean you know wasn't really committing a foul I mean Gordon kind of went up the back of his legs uh it's just one of those plays where there's just a scramble and Thompson somehow gets it back <laughs> and then lays it in i asked clay and Draymond their memories and clay was like oh yeah you know i had an open layup i t- just took it and Draymond was like because he'd already fouled out at this point he's like well like my heart was in my throat when he decided to take that layup but uh congratulations on making it and he gives him a high five 
um so that that was a crazy exchange obviously once he made that uh, the game was over with four seconds left uh it took 14 seconds for all of that to unfold um anything else you wanted to say here about the end of the game or, or uh, observations on the meat of the game here yeah you brought it up briefly but Kevon Looney's performance was very important he had three offensive rebounds in the first quarter which I thought were really important and then he was really the fifth beetle when when Durant went down he played a significant portion of the fourth quarter and made a big difference defensively he's had trouble with both Chris Paul and James Harden in the series after doing pretty well against Harden last year had had a nice block late in this game had some offensive rebounds and he's probably going to get the lion's share of those now available minutes for as long as Durant is out they'll they'll try some other things too to be sure but they can't really extend the four remaining starters any more than they can't they have and other players they'll they'll try you know they'll probably try McKinney they'll probably try Drebko and there will be minutes for those guys but Looney can do more I mean I've been critical of that especially like in that early bit when they were playing Bogut instead of him even though Looney wasn't closing games and so I thought his performance was big especially in comparison to Capella who got in early foul trouble and then just never really had a rhythm some of that is Draymond just being a brilliant defender and getting Capella you know largely out of this series but Looney's play significant yeah he's probably gonna have to go 35 minutes at least in the next game uh oh I have another thing yeah not a surprise to anybody who's followed this team closely or less closely this season the Warriors had some truly spectacular turnovers in the early portion of this game and there were so many ebbs and flows to this one I mean we didn't even really talk about how the Warriors went out to this huge lead relatively early on but then they flubbed it away in that third quarter but they had like they had one of those I'm calling it a like a classic turnover where Draymond inbounds the ball between Curry and Durant and Durant can't grab it and Curry isn't looking and so it just goes out of bounds there are no rockets it's like the definition of an unforced turnover they had a few other just bizarre ones like throwing the ball to no one in particular and the Warriors have this character trait I guess you could call it where they can there are certain things in their game that they can clean up and that you know like they they can button things down but it never feels like and maybe other than a few sections of a few games where they ever like really button down and put it all the way together you know take out all the dumb turnovers and all that and part some of that is they have the margin for error a lot of teams don't they're so so talented and, and everything else but you know 15 turnovers a lot of which were preventable in this game that could have been a very different story just like you know Draymond green's technical and a few other things had this game gone different the pick and roll defense uh, was pretty interesting i thought the way golden state was defending they started out not trying to switch kevon looney onto harden since harden had kind of beaten him in game four they got back to switching more especially late when they were trying to prevent the three-point shot and they had the lead uh rockets tried to get nene some minutes but he just struggles so much on switches i think that now that kd is out they might be able to get some more out of him i think in game six a couple things that the rockets could adjust to now knowing that kd is out number one i might actually consider just double teaming steph off the pick and roll instead of switching and especially when the more limited lineups are out there and especially when it's capella guarding looney which is probably looney's probably going to start to make steph throw the ball to kavan looney and tell kavan looney to make a play four on three when you've got a bunch of other non-shooters with draymond and iguodala out there as well if it's draymond you probably switch that and maybe now you put pj tucker on draymond so that he can switch uh, onto steph curry you know much like the cavaliers used to put lebron james uh, on draymond so he could switch onto curry with that pick and roll combo because draymond will make a play four and three i don't know if looney is going to be able to actually do 
that um i also think they can find some minutes now again for daniel house a big problem that house had was just having no chance against kd but i think that house does bring them something offensively assuming that he's recovered he was active today uh, with i think it was a toe injury where he was out for a couple of games at least give him a shot because i think if he's hitting his shots and then he provides some ability to drive a closeout uh, that uh, and really finish athletically at the rim give them more of a transition game so i might try to find some minutes uh, for him if they can certainly nene now can play on the second unit when curry is out of the game no problem at all uh i'm happy you brought up pj tucker because his defensive role will change and i think he's going to be incredibly destructive in a different way i think he's had a wonderful series he's been he's been huge in terms of houston defense and, and the offensive rebounds which he only had one of in this game but now he can function in an entirely different capacity i think that's going to work out really well for houston and i agree with you put him on draymond especially when they have to go to those actions and i wonder if like how how these teams rotations could change just due to the shift in imperatives you know now presumably the warriors are going to want to have somebody more offensively capable on that second unit when when curry sits maybe they stagger curry and draymond now it's 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 entirely uncertain and then pj tucker's role changes maybe you can even also play him fewer minutes maybe not because he's so damn good but giving him a little bit more rest i think would would better serve the team and now they can play some of those other options said daniel house and maybe maybe a little bit more joe green not that he was good in this game he absolutely was not but go to go to those guys a little bit more because there's a less less of a sense of urgency and the idea would be you're getting killed less in those absences so maybe those players can be more effective in for the warriors especially with Steph having played 44 minutes i mean i can't remember the last time he played that many and these guys and this is going back to you know previous playoff runs when these guys were younger you know so clay with 45 to me i'm going and draymond with 40 you know he, he's never someone who's i think is as susceptible to issues when he plays more minutes as maybe curry in particular or clay but to me i'm treating this like a two-game series if i'm golden state especially on the road without kd i think you say all right we're gonna play steph and clay 39 minutes and draymond 40 minutes that's what their limit's gonna be we're gonna play iguodala 32 minutes 33 minutes and iguodala at times looked completely exhausted in this game uh although he certainly fought through it and you couldn't see it necessarily and you just don't want to exhaust yourself with that crazy quick turnaround coming back here and yeah if you're in it at the end you know maybe you extend guys a little bit if you're really going to be able to win the game uh but you don't want to go crazy trying to win game six and then come back and your you know fatigue will be an ally of the rockets perhaps at that point although certainly they got some guys who are really dragging here too at this point in time anything else you want to talk about on this one no i think that's i think that's it let's take a quick news break here the la lakers widely presumed to have chosen Ty Lu and to just be moving forward on a contract with him are now reopening their coaching search because Ty Lu has pulled out of the running uh, per a number of reports first reported by the la times a number of issues apparently the lakers didn't offer Lu more than three years per reporting which is an exceedingly short contract for a coach i can't remember one for a guy who is just a straight up new hire that was less than four now maybe the three years refers to the number of guaranteed years and since no doubt this is being leaked from Lou's side he would want to make it look like they offered him made him as crappy of an offer as possible to justify why he was turning it down or maybe it's the usual reporting is three years and that actually means a three minus one which would be crazy I and mean, now that would be the exact same structure of course uh, of lebron james as a player option after two 
more seasons under contract but he was insulted and perhaps rightfully so that they merely viewed him as oh this is the lebron coach further issues over his assistance lakers wanted to have final approval on that including pushing for jason kidd to be his lead assistant which i don't know if those two guys have any kind of relationship but certainly if i've got jason kidd behind me as my lead assistant i'm probably putting a bulletproof vest on before i go and coach every every game well and and nobody knows the precarious nature of having a high profile top assistant like tyloo because he was that guy in cleveland and then got the job when david black got fired yeah no that, that's exactly right and, and who knows who tyloo would have wanted to bring in what the cost would have been now certainly it sounds like from a monetary standpoint over those three years that the offer was very competitive interestingly it was going to be like five million and six million the first two years and then went up to eight million was the reporting the last year which just kind of makes me think that maybe that was the team option like there's no reason to have that go up by so much the third year versus the first two years unless that was the team option so again i i this is just spec informed speculation i would like to say uh so now the warriors or i'm sorry the lakers are looking for three names that they're adding to their coaching search start the drum roll please lionel hollands frank vogel and mike woodson three guys that have the offensive creativity to maximize a lebron team especially if a a lebron team is poorly constructed again though i think the front office has hopefully learned some of those yeah mike woodson who only played carmelo anthony at the four in new york uh, with the gun to his head i mean he has had success you know and i think some of these kind of older school guys would at least just put the ball in in lebron's hands and say all right everyone get out of the way and just let him do it which you know seems to work pretty well frankly uh and vogel had a good track record before flaming out in orlando although certainly what steve clifford was able to do with similar personnel it doesn't speak highly uh, of vogel's work in orlando and lionel hollands i mean what did he last like a year and a half with the nets i think uh and certainly the let's just put it this way none of these guys have come up in regard to any other job opening (laughs) um so yeah this is not looking good perhaps lou they'll eventually re-engage but uh, um, indications are that like uh, and reading between the lines here right like Woj tweeting that Rambus has become a significant voice Kurt Rambus as opposed to his really well qualified to make basketball decisions wife Linda Rambus uh so Woj tweeting that at the same time as it's reported that Lou didn't make it in is not a coincidence I would imagine so uh and then Bill Orem reported today that one of the issues that led to a breakdown between Luke Walton and the Lakers was the Lakers wanting to push some more experienced assistance on him including oh guess who kurt rambis <laughs> the front office really wanted him to be hired as, as an assistant coach he, he can't make this up uh so yeah i mean it, that that would really be quite hilarious if they lost Ty Lu, who you know i've never been that high on what he was able to do necessarily you know I mean, we did our coach rankings i had him in the teens you were even lower on him than that uh but clearly the best candidate that we know of to coach this roster uh given the difficulties that can arise with coaching lebron james i mean i think there's probably better x's and o's minds that you could get who are first time head coaches but is lebron actually going to listen to those dudes probably not so lou is clearly to me that was the best candidate all along yeah and what is deeply concerning about this along with the rob palenka rise to power and consolidation i guess of power is the lack of cogent rationale and and, and poor leadership here i mean oh so you you want to hire a good the best coach you can but you want to put assistance on them well then you're not going to get the best coach. that's that's not the way this works in ba you can't put that in and sometimes front offices try to foist assistance on coaches i was around when that happened to mark jackson with 
Brian Scalabrini. Many people know how that turned out, but it's different when you're hiring a new head coach and you try to put these constraints on them. That's kind of like we were critical of the way that it sounded like Glenn Taylor was handling the president of basketball operations situation in Minnesota of we're going to hire a president of basketball operations, but they might not have full authority to fire or hire a new GM or coach. Now they ended up getting Rosas and everything else, but you to get the best people, you want to give them the latitude to, to make their own jobs. And not only is it because of that freedom, but also because of the marker in the sand that it is for those coaches of like, oh, this is the way they're handling this situation. I guess we can say that their coaching search went about as well as their new president of basketball operations search has. All right, let's talk. Yeah, go ahead. It might be going worse. I mean, well, let's see where it goes. Yeah. Well, at least they will eventually hire a coach. We know that they do need to to do that. So certainly uh, a lot of frustration in Lakers land. And it can certainly be frustrating as well if you're in a hurry or you're running late to find yourself at a railway crossing waiting for a train and signals are going. I mean, the train's not even there yet. You could feel tempted and try and sneak across the tracks. Just don't do it. The trains are often going a lot faster than you expect them to be. You're looking down a straight track. You don't have the perspective to see how fast the train is going or how far away it is. And trains can't stop. It can take a train over a mile to stop. And uh, that train is a lot bigger than your car. You don't know how quickly the train will arrive. That's why they have those gates that tell you don't cross at this time. So heed those gates, wait for the train to pass. It's not worth it to try to race it across the tracks. You know the train can't stop even if it sees you. If the signals are on, the train is on its way. And just remember to stop because trains can't. Well, the Milwaukee Bucks completely destroyed the the Boston Celtics in the end 116 to 91 it was Yabu Sele time with 10 minutes left in the game and you figured one thing well you know yeah the uh, Boston really struggled last game we know the one thing they're going to do is after 9 of 41 three-point shooting they're going to shoot much better from three in game five and instead they shot 17.9 percent seven of 39 for a total of 16 out of 80 over the last two games and really there was no way for them to overcome that type of shooting performance even with the Bucks struggling to shoot threes themselves in these last couple of games I don't know if you looked at it but do you want to guess boston's true shooting percentage in this game uh i've got it in front of me it's 42 percent and not only did they shoot 20 percent under 20 percent from three but they're 41 percent from two and they did actually get a crap load of free throws again 34 free throws in this game somehow yeah uh, tatum had nine jalen brown had six kyrie irving we had two and another just brutal kyrie irving game he was six of 21 from the field 15 points one assist three turnovers and i mean overall i mean you're, when you, the series numbers for him are are shocking i remember like i mean part of the reason going back to the point guard rankings that we did earlier in the year part of the reason i had him over damian lillard and i, I mean obviously one series is one series but was his his playoff performance he shot 35 percent from the field 23 percent three did did average 20 points a game but he did that on 22 shots and i believe somewhere around like 25 shooting possessions. yeah it was really ugly he had more more shots than points in the series which is never a, a good sign and russell westbrook was more efficient than damian lillard was uh, or i'm sorry than kyrie irving was uh, in this series uh russell westbrook in his series against portland uh brad stevens tried something that i recommended which was maybe going with aaron baines and al horford together really i think for the first minutes in the series they started the game and the defense was uh, a little better at least early on but they couldn't score at all and Baines he finished up at negative 22 in only 10 minutes Bucks were up nine 
Boston won an 11-0 run late in the first to, to make it a little closer and then the Bucks essentially blew them out from there Giannis uh, another very efficient game 20 points on 8 of 14 he was a game best plus 33 in only 31 minutes the only, the only thing to worry about probably if you're the Bucks is Brooke Lopez continued to struggle 0 of 7 from 3 on some very good looks uh but I don't really think we need to talk too much about what happened in this game it was a continuation of what had been happening in Boston and yeah you know Boston missing all of these shots I thought was a lot of character but the Bucks were didn't shoot it well from three in a lot of these games too so uh, clearly Milwaukee was much much better than them George Hill continues to look unbelievable he got an alley-oop today I mean he's just like shot out of a cannon in these games somehow um oh we should also but, mention Malcolm yeah. Brogdon oh yeah he Brog- returned he returned played 17 minutes scored 10 points four of eight from the field and now the Bucks winning this in five they should get more rest to get these guys right for the Eastern Conference Finals against an opponent that we still don't know so let's do a quick post-mortem here on Boston it's been a topic of conversation everywhere but uh, on this program as well we've skewed certainly more towards the idea of hey you know what these guys just didn't play well enough they weren't that good you know a lot of people wanted to crap on Brad Stevens and he said after the game yeah you know this I didn't do a good enough job with these guys and, and that's probably true and you know any the head coach has to take responsibility but you know I thought in this series it wasn't like they weren't getting open looks I mean they did the best they could to slow down Giannis they had a good plan at first he was able to solve it um they did try some different things with trying to double team Giannis when he came off of pick and rolls at, at this point in game five he tried a lot of different combinations that just uh, did not work um you know so it maybe wasn't Steven's best job but I don't think he was like the problem in this series I mean they just could not make jump shot they don't have guys who are able to attack the rim you know I think Jalen Brown as the season went along got back to being kind of what he was supposed to be but he, he didn't really take a step forward from the playoffs last year obviously Jason Tatum had massive problems in this series and this season and his star as a prospect has fallen quite a bit and Terry Rozier said afterwards like hey you know I sacrificed the most out of everyone he said it rather colorfully but you know those guys just didn't hit their shots this year they were just inefficient you know they weren't the same guys that they were they didn't get to the foul line Gordon Hayward obviously I mean that was another problem he he really struggled again and looked better towards the end of the year but it was really kind of more as a like almost like a, a slightly more dynamic Joe Ingles than like the real Gordon Hayward that we recognize from Utah who was a guy who had the ball in his hands a, a lot so this team just wasn't good enough the players weren't good enough you know Marcus Smart being out didn't help either and he was one for 11 in the two games that he did play and they got more out of Marcus Morris than they could have ex- ever expected to this year I think Horford you know was playing playing well by the end and so just their guys didn't play well enough I mean, Kyrie Irving had easily the worst playoff series of his career so I, I I don't know that yeah you know what maybe they got upset with each other maybe the expectations being so high internally and externally and then not reaching those my expectations were lower to start the season they obviously were well below even years of mine but you know that certainly made them miserable and led to strife but I don't know you know I think it was more of a chicken and egg where they weren't playing well and then they got upset as opposed to uh, vice versa and so all right you know these guys just have to play better and have to be better players and they just weren't this season and you know I always thought people who were saying this is a 60 win team 65 win team you know were way out over their skis and they certainly disappointed me this year but this is not that surprising of an outcome to me given where they were at the end of the regular season well and i want to go back to the regular season for a beat they dropped from 55 wins to 49 but using cleaning the glasses garbage time filter the celtics actually had a slightly better net rating this year it's just that they underperformed their point differential significantly this year and they overperformed it significantly last year 55 wins last year was uh one of the luckier marks right and there was reason to believe that 
I mean, the optimist standpoint, and, and I, I bought into this a little bit, though not as fully as, as some did, was that, you know, they played this beautiful form of basketball. They overperformed even once Kyrie went down, like that the team did. And so the idea was that you're adding in not only Kyrie Irving, but you're adding in Gordon Hayward, a talent, both of those guys, arguably a healthy Hayward more than a healthy Kyrie, can be additives to that. Maybe keep, they could keep the ball moving. And I can understand the mental challenge of this for many of the players on the Celtics who some of them were not even asked in the original iteration of the team to have the roles that they ended up growing into and they did really well. I mean, Jason Tatum last year as a rookie put up a 59% true shooting on 20% usage, was drilling all those threes and the threes ended up being at least partially unsustainable, 37% this year, nothing nothing to sneeze at, damn sure. But I can't imagine mentally why it would be very hard for those guys to be like, okay, you're taking a step back, not, not only for Kyrie Irving, but also in certain circumstances for Hayward when they were better than he was this year. But as you said, I think that those are more ancillary because winning is a huge disinfectant and players who are unhappy can still play really well. We've seen that in various circumstances over the years. But I do think that as, and this goes back to the series, that when it went, when the Bucks started switching everything and it went into, okay, Boston, you need to create an isolation, despite having, you know, I would say that goes to Kyrie Irving and to Jason Tatum on your team, they couldn't do that reliably, at least not against this Bucks. Yeah, and credit Budenholzer for doing that. Eric Bledsoe uh, reportedly advocated for more switching after game one when they were giving up so many open pick and pop jumpers. And I think a lot of their players tried to do the right thing and move the ball up, but that just doesn't work as well against the switching defense. And we saw that they were the worst isolation team statistically in the NBA this season. So it ended up working out pretty well there. One other big picture thing that I want to talk about, and this is not their offseason preview. We'll do that at a time. But in this circumstance, we've seen this a couple times in recent years, it can be more important to see how the players themselves, especially the pending free agents, and this team has a couple high profile ones, how they interpret the season is it sometimes more important than how an objective person. Sometimes maybe they see it as, hey, we had some things that went wrong that can be straightened up with the other year. And sometimes it could be, no, we're never going to figure this out or I can find a better circumstance. And it doesn't necessarily matter whether that individual or individuals, whether they are rational or not, it just matters how they feel because they can make their free agency decision on whatever they want last point here i think we said in the series preview or at least i did that on paper this looked like a five gamer for the buck and i was willing to make it six because we didn't know about budenholzer's ability to adjust in the playoffs and giving brad stevens credit and just the fact that boston's strengths which is actually shooting a lot of jump shots and Kyrie irving against conventional pick and roll defense matched up pretty well with what we thought milwaukee's weaknesses well it turned out Kyrie irving had a terrible series and milwaukee fixed a lot of those weaknesses uh, by changing their strategy which you know was another thing we didn't give bud that much credit for and so but i mean this is an entirely expected result i mean this is yeah i mean boston was not competitive in the last four games of the series it was not close late in any of them which you know i think that certainly is a disappointment also feldman's statistic of the teams this decade that won game one on the road by 15 or more points all losing the series uh claims another victim as well here so i mean this bucks team is really really awesome I and mean, i have to think extremely carefully about who i'm going to pick in the next round if in fact uh, toronto is able to go through 
time to talk free agent centers now and with the demise of the boston celtics we're recording this during the day but the assumption is that the milwaukee bucks are going to win that series al horford's player option suddenly appears very interesting at, at age 33 and to me he's yet another domino that hinges on the d- decision of Kyrie irving that certainly seems to be the case i mean horford it's a lucrative 30.1 million dollar player option but he has to weigh that and the potential of hitting free agency in 2020 versus opting out and cashing out this year. And as you said, you know, the the potential demise of Boston Celtics is a factor here, not only in terms of committing for a single season, but committing for multiple seasons. So his decision is an important first step. And presumably he and Danny Ainge can have a conversation about what sort of thing they would be looking for should he want to return. But Horford also stands out in this class as being, to me, the best of the unrestricted restricted guys on the market. Now, there would certainly be teams, if it were equal playing field, that would more interested in Kristaps Porzingis, a lot younger, but it isn't an equal playing field. And for me, Horford's track record, even though he is about five years older than Vooch, that track record makes him more desired. Well, especially for a good team, especially because he is just a Swiss army knife. He can play the four, he can play the five, he shoots threes, he passes, he can post up when necessary, he can guard, at least at this point, although that I expect that to wane, guard a lot of different positions defensively be part of a number of different kinds of schemes defensively great teammate so when you throw all that in i mean he's a player who at least at this point in time doesn't have any severe weaknesses and at 33 he did struggle with some knee tendonitis throughout the year but has had moments where he's looked about the same i mean to me if I try to opt out and cash in with, you know, maybe something along the lines of a three-year, $75 million offer. And certainly, if he opts out, he will get a contract for more than $30 million. I think that because there's just so many teams that would love to have it, right? I mean, Brooklyn would be head over heels if they could get all Horford, I bet you, you know, with their about $30 million in cap space, even with D'Angelo Russell's big hold. We've talked about maybe Atlanta as a possible place that he, maybe he'd want to go back there. And now the thought would probably be well you know he wants to be on the biggest contender that he possibly can if you're gonna opt out in boston but i think he opts out just to get more money and then he can always re-sign in boston on a longer term deal i mean but clearly i mean a team like second round like he clearly will have i'm guessing multiple offers that would be at least 70 million guaranteed if not more and now that may not necessarily be places he wants to go the clippers could be another one right i mean think of if they were to get Kawhi leonard al horford would be an unbelievable fit there defensively with Leonard and they could probably squeeze you know 23 million to start with for Horford and go out three years something like that uh, with him you know so that would be a team that would be pretty contender I mean the Lakers would probably you know since it doesn't look like they're necessarily going to have a shot at the absolute best guys he would be an awesome option there as their center they don't have any any kind of long-term center on the books right now uh the Knicks if they get KD it would be interested so it's I mean there are a number of places that he could go and because he fits everywhere and i think he's also a player who can hold up more as he ages just due to his shooting ability and his smarts and just you kind of manage him during the regular season and then he plays well in the playoffs and he can kind of be on that sort of a plan going forward here but you probably want to uh sign him this year and i think he can help push a team towards a championship if they're not going to get one of the absolute top guys i want to float another one by you i brought up that some teams would prefer christophs Porzingis to Horford just just because of the age and everything else what about those two guys playing together in Dallas absolutely I mean there really are very few teams that could use a guy like Al Horford so well 
Well, so yeah, we should, we should also isn't. talk about yeah. briefly about what his decision-making process is. So you have the option here. I would say as long as he has an understanding that those sorts of offers are on the table, that opting out is the right strategy because you're not sacrificing as much. And the the sheer number of teams mitigates some of the risk. And, and his agents can have, nego- they can have conversations. There are certain things they probably can't discuss, but they can get relatively close. But then it gets into the question of where does Boston stand? You know, does he give a hometown discount? He's done very well in Brad Stevens' system, but there's a chance with Kyrie Irving and everything else that the Celtics aren't looking as capable, as as dangerous as before. And also keep in mind here with Horford in particular, the timing, because some of the teams that will pursue Al Horford, if they make him their first priority, he's going to put some real heat on the Celtics to say, hey, you need to step up your offer. Or I'm just going to take this because I don't know if it's going to be here. Yeah. And I would assume that the Celtics, even with this young core, would offer him a, a longer term deal because they're not going to have cap space really, even if uh, Kyrie leaves. So, but so much of it is going to depend on the Anthony Davis trade. Well, can they do that before they get a commitment from Kyrie? Well, is Kyrie really, really going to commit around the draft when maybe Anthony Davis, uh, an agreement at least in principle, is reached to, to trade Anthony Davis? And, you know, if AD comes and Kyrie comes, then Al Horford probably opts out, takes maybe a little bit smaller of a deal on a longer term, and you're part of a, what would hopefully be a, a juggernaut. Maybe the Celtics end up moving Gordon Hayward in that instance uh, just to open up so it's just not a spectacularly expensive team. We'll see, too, you know, who ends up getting traded in the AD deal. I mean, that would be a big part of this uh, as well. But, you know, I mean, if you're Al Horford and some of those options that I talked about are there, why would you want to go back to Boston other than just, ah, you know, we're here, I kind of like it here, blah, blah. From a competitive standpoint, if Kyrie and AD aren't, aren't going to be there, especially because, you know, maybe the Celtics don't come as aggressively with an offer as some of these other teams. So well, I and think, also, uh, actually, yeah. on, those, on that note, Danny Ainge, and I'm not criticizing him for this, he is very aggressive about moving guys if they don't necessarily fit his vision. So if you commit to Boston for a couple years, especially let's say you take a hometown discount, maybe Danny Ainge trades you a couple years from now if you're less viable and they're they're going into a little, if they, especially if they have AD, maybe they say AD's our five, we don't need Horford too. All right, let's talk about uh, the rest of the players. He, Horford is the only one I have as a star. I don't have anyone as a superstar. Other unrestricted guys in the starter category. Very interesting. I, I have Nikola Vucevic just due to his age at 28 ranked at the top of this group that includes Mark Gasol his playoff foil Derek Favors possibly could be available he's got that non-guarantee from Utah but you could also see Utah opting him into that or or guaranteeing that and then trading him if they're not interested in him uh, yeah I, I think a that's number. a value contract to me whether yeah. whether it's for Utah or otherwise I, I think I wrote that in their offseason preview I expect Favors to be on that contract whatever team yeah maybe Dallas has long been rumored to, to have interest in him and so uh, and then you step down to Brooke Lopez DeMarc at 31 DeMarcus Cousins at 28 and a guy that I I'm a little higher on than maybe most people are Dwayne Dedman at 29 because I like his two-way ability and, and versatility offensively to either shoot or go to the rim but let's talk about Vucevic first here this is in Orlando kind of a mini version of what Jeff Weltman experienced in Toronto where he comes in with Masai Ujiri as a kind of an idea that we're going to break things down we're really going to start over and then you have some unexpected success Vucevic maybe somewhat similar to Kyle Lowry takes a, an unexpected next step as a player in his late 20s then underperforms in the playoffs and so your thought now is well you know what are we really getting if we re-sign him we'll kind of have the same team which was nowhere close to good enough to win a first round series but that's also the greatest success they've tasted in Orlando since 2012 if you re-sign Vucevic you're that's probably not going to be a great contract going forward you're basing it 
on a career year and you also know that he doesn't really have the versatility on either end to really be a great playoff player but you're completely hopeless without him. you know i mean they're back in absolute tanktastic lottery land mobamba didn't develop and then got injured so they don't really have anyone else that, at center they're not going to have a ton of flexibility if vooch were to leave so i, I mean I, you know we could talk more about their decision on him but just uh, thinking about him in a vacuum danny what do you see as a, a reasonable contract for vucevic and also what teams might be interested in him outside of the match we've talked at length about how one of the important developments for vooch has been that they've defended better than we expected but well overall with him on the floor and you know their starters did a very nice job orlando having such a bad bench really hurt their season though they probably wouldn't have moved that far beyond where they ended up and that defensive part is important but this is also vooch's best offensive season of his career and that makes me a little bit skeptical of both ends of that you know that that you when a guy has a career year on both sides of the floor even though he's talented offensively makes me a little bit skeptical my instinct is you know sure you can give him solid starter money but also remember the idea of positional scarcity and if he is not a reliable playoff starter against the best teams you know maybe maybe in the first round depending on certain opponents he can't be marcus was a singular terrible matchup for him but there are a lot of good centers in the league and i think he would struggle with a lot of those so i'm thinking something more in the 17 to 19 million dollar annual range and i think he's going to be expecting something dramatically richer than that and i expect him to sign something richer than that with you would think that the kings would have some interest there uh, vladi divats with his uh, fellow balkan center lovucha has played for montenegro internationally vooch would be fantastic for them i think he'd be a pretty solid fit with marvin bagley about as good of a fit as you can get offensively for a center with, with his passing and shooting ability it can open up the floor a little bit for him there's the where else are you spending your money aspect with sacramento outside of that i'm not sure which teams would really be in the vooch market you right know, like I, you like you think about so all the teams Dallas, listed maybe? for al horford so yeah. like the clippers and those teams of that ilk i think they will set their sights higher and if vooch is the best they can do with their money i think lots of them would probably just save it same with the knicks and a lot of yeah i mean maybe the lakers just because you know if they just can't get anyone else and he killed them in two games this year uh so maybe there's that aspect a a little bit although magic isn't there anymore so uh unclear if magic actually even watched all of the lakers games but so you know i think there will be a market you know maybe dallas would be a thought there as well if the bulls are trying to take another step i mean they believe in in wendell carter but that's uh that's still an interesting one don't see him as a brooklyn fan it kind of it, it's tough to find it because the young teams he doesn't give you a ton of upside i mean he, you know he's a he's a regular season player he's not a playoff player i don't think i mean and credit to him for getting to be as good as he has been in the regular season but that is going to limit your market to a team like orlando who's kind of like ah you know we're uh we're good on the eighth seat if in fact that is the direction that they decide to go you know sacramento doesn't appear to have the largest of aspirations either but if you're trying to win a championship vucevic is not your guy uh, well, and, 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 and i want to note that vuce would really help Sacramento. I mean, like the way oh, that he, he give them a half court offensive identity. De'Aaron Fox is giving them a big part of the transition one, but they they could use that piece and him defending the the Magic defending well, which was on the floor, is important. And also to me, Vooch is very talented. And depending on the the term of contract, if Bagley ends up becoming more of a five than a four, which is what I expect, but maybe not what Sacramento expects, then you can maybe in a couple of years into that deal, you can start to move things around or or, or accommodate that, whether it's sliding to the bench or trying to trade him. Marcus Gasol's player option is 
is for $25.6 million next season. It does seem like there's kind of an undercurrent of him opting in, but I think so much depends uh, on what happens with the rest of, of this Toronto season. You know, if they make it to the East Finals and have a close loss there, or they make it to the NBA Finals, or even win the NBA Championship. You know, I think the better they play, to me, it seems like kind of the more likely he might be to opt in or do the opt out and extend for a little bit longer. I mean, he is at 34. I do think that the Raptors prize their flexibility after next season when Lowry, Gasol, Ibaka all would come off the books, Van Vliet. And of course, much depends on what happens with Kawhi Leonard. I mean, maybe if you're Mark, what you do is you opt out because it doesn't seem like the type of thing where like when he has to decide by the end of the league year before it flips over that he's going to know with Kawhi. It doesn't seem like Kawhi is going to like, oh yeah, here, I'll let you know what we're doing in advance here. Uh, so maybe he just opts out as a precaution just in case you know it falls apart in Toronto he wants the ability to go somewhere else and compete for a championship possibly well or theoretically he could opt in and then if Toronto isn't competing try to get a buy give give some money back in a buyout later on in the year and go somewhere that's yeah I mean I think they would still even without Leonard you know they with Siakam Larry I mean they would have a playoff team I I I agree they want to keep him and so but so so I don't know I, I think you know the more I think about it I think he will opt out but it's just you know a question of when he's if he's going to come back and draw i mean i could see toronto asking him to opt in and him kind of be like eh, you know i don't really want to do that um now we get to the real variance yeah. guys to me i mean brooke lopez fabulous year with milwaukee but the bucks have a limited capacity to bring him back because non-bird rights can be very useful we'll see we'll see this theoretically maybe with with trevor reza or jabari parker in washington but non-bird rights can be totally fine or kd back in the warriors did that and did that 2017 but when a player takes it what looks like a discounted deal then non-bird rights aren't enough to resign them so that means the bucks have to dip into the mid-level exception since it looks like they're not going to be a cap space team unless chris milton leaves and i wonder what other options what other offers are going to be on the table for lopez 31 years old but we have proof of concept yeah and you would think i mean he seems really happy there maybe the bucks can get around the fact that other teams might offer him more money by just taking the years out further in a, a mid-level type of deal uh but lopez runs into the issue where you know at, at age 31 he's not the offensive player that vooch is he's more of a one-trick pony we've seen that he you know has had years like with the lakers where he didn't look nearly as good he has to be part of a specific kind of defensive system well he has looked better on the perimeter in these playoffs but here are the list of teams that need a center that have more than the mid-level exception off and, and when i say need a center i mean need a starting level of center you know that you're going to pay more than the mid-level exception right like brooklyn for example they've got jared allen yeah they might get a center who was like a real huge upgrade on allen but i don't see them wanting to play like brooke lopez over the mid-level exception i think they have other needs that they would like to try and fill out with that money so and this is just a projection could be wrong atlanta could use the center dallas the clippers the lakers new orleans the knicks maybe unless they want to start mitchell robinson and sacramento so which of those teams wants to give brooke lopez more than the mid-level you know i'm not sure that that really would work for any of them and if it does it would probably be on a short-term type of deal where it's these teams strike out on cap space and just want to roll it over to 2020 and hey brooke lopez will give you a one-year 15 million that type of thing so i could very easily see the bucks despite their limitation still being able to offer the most amount of guaranteed money to lopez even if it does have to be over a longer year yeah and, and i mean when you consider the success that they've had and it is possible theoretically and we don't know how this buck season is going to end as well that Giannis could theoretically leave after next season but the bucks have a lot of good pieces to 
together. Bledsoe already extended. I expect Middleton to resign there. So him committing to that team, I think that's, you know, kind of setting up your your twilight years, not that he's there yet, in a really good place. And so it, it makes a lot of sense. But if somebody else makes a really strong offer and Lopez, who has made significant money in his career, if he chooses that he wants to prioritize that, which he is totally within the right to do, could see it. But I, I expect him to go back to, to Milwaukee. And then that leads us to Marcus Cousins. Cousins, beyond the complications, you know, this injury, not nearly as severe as the Achilles, which hurt his value last summer. But Cousins, he might end up just being a fallback for so many different teams that one of them eventually works out. And he wasn't, justifiably, he wasn't particularly patient last year. And unfortunately for Cousins, he might have this year. Yeah, uh, but some of the same analysis holds to me with Cousins as it did with Lopez, where he is going to be a fallback position. It's tough to count on him because of the injury history at this point and just his overall volatility and the fact that you know he really kind of waxed and waned as, as a player when he was back with the Warriors but I think he still could be a solid floor raiser on offense he showed some defensive moments but you just don't know what the health is how many games he's going to be able to play whether he's going to be locked in the way he was with this Warriors team where you know they actually had the option of benching him so I don't know which of these teams do you see as like a real cousin's destination at this point in time Oof. And, and what kind of contract could he get I mean could he get the Jabari Parker from last year the 20 million with a team option for the second year I like that structure I I think that it it opens things up a little bit for the team you know give him a little bit more money this year but then you can walk out of it free and clear and incidentally I actually prefer that to like a non-guarantee what we've seen with Derek Favors because a team option in some ways is more optimistic because with a team option in order to sign them to a different contract they don't have to go through waiver whereas with Favors if for whatever reason they want to go in different direction you're kind of you're kind of hamstrung there because they they can't do as much so i do like yeah. that i do like that structure who could give that to him i could see the clippers doing that if they if they get one person if it depending on how their offseason goes i could see the lakers doing that as well if they're you know maybe let's say anthony davis gets traded but is somewhere where they're not convinced that he's going to stick around long term so that gives them a little bit of flexibility by the time they have to decide on that team option they should have a pretty damn good idea whether they're going to need that cap space i I think Brooklyn could do differently and probably do better, especially because I really like Jared Allen. And for some strange reason, I'm guessing Sacramento will not be in the bidding. Uh, you never know. I, I'm guessing <laughs> I'm guessing that would be because he would not return their calls rather than Vlade not reaching out. That's my instinct. I don't know yeah. anything. I haven't talked to DeMarcus about this ever, but I'm guessing he has more ill will than they do, other than other than maybe the announced team, but that's a little different. Yeah, well, if they're, if they're willing to make a, a commitment, then th- that could change things. So, I mean, he d- the thing that he has over someone like Lopez, though, is a lot of upside you know if he plays the way that he played in his best moments even this season he could be a really powerful player so you could very easily see a team like the lakers or clippers or the clippers a little more culture focused these days rolling the dice on him if it doesn't work out and then there could be some sort of a you know team option type of deal so you know i do think i mean of those cap space teams that i mentioned you know really lakers and clippers and maybe dallas who have always had an infatuation with him it seems like as well those seem like the teams to me you know i don't know about new york necessarily i mean you could see him maybe going there if they get kd and then they just use the rest of their space to just get other guys that aren't all at the max but no i mean i think for me 20 million guaranteed is probably about the most he can get you know how many years that that's going to be maybe it even ends up being less than that there's still i think if kd leaves a possibility he could return to the warriors although really they can only offer him probably 6.4 million and then they would have early bird rights on him the next year but you know that that wouldn't really enable 
enable them to get up much past about 10 million there anyway so uh per season Dwayne Dedman is an interesting one I imagine he'll probably be in line for a contract somewhere along the lines of what he was just coming off of six seven million a year uh could very easily see him being back in Atlanta as well off of that uh they have plenty of cap space his cap hold won't be huge it'll be less than 10 million dollars so they could even offer him you know a bigger one-year deal to come back at, at 29 after they conduct whatever other business that they're going to conduct it and sign him to that then we get into the rotation guys Jonas Valanciunas player option at age 27 for about 17 million any chance he opts out of that I'd say it's pretty low because while there are a lot of teams with cap space there are also a lot of guys ahead of him both at the center position and not at the center position so I don't the, the reason why a player of like of his age would would do it would be because he I don't think having agency over his destination this young is that big of a deal would be if he could get more security but I mean 17 17 six is a lot of money for for anybody and I don't think he would get that on the open market but yeah, I mean could you see like mid-level exception seems like he's a very good offensive center but there's just there's so many guys like that you know who are just decent pick and roll guys can post up get some offensive rebounds and then you know take up space around the rim but too slow ladder i mean there's a lot of guys like that right. in the and, right role and, he could be effective and but. once you get past a certain threshold i mean when we did the center rankings last year i said it was around 13 the surplus value of those players to me is, is much more limited and so not every team feels the way i do and that that is a very good thing for players like valanchunas but that i use that to kind of temper expectations because those types of players i mean there are so many centers now and you think about all the different ways that a team can occupy 35 to 40 regular season minutes at that position especially if it's a guy who you don't think is going to be as much of a positive in the playoffs. should you make it yeah give some context to some of these guys we've talked about we did this relatively close to the playoffs these would probably change a little bit but some of the guys we're talking about i had al horford as my number six center vooch is overall in the league vooch at seven demarcus at nine that's probably giving him too much credit uh and this recent injury would knock him down there for sure brooke lopez at 11 but again he's older as well marcus at 15 Derek favors at 17 deadman at 18 which most people wouldn't agree with they think i have him way too high jv at 20 so these are the guys that were that we're kind of talking about here uh and where they fall deandre jordan at 30 still probably you know puts up the points and rebounds but just to, his effort last season was pretty terrible he didn't even want to get bought out and go to a contender apparently he just wanted to stay with the knicks and uh can still get up for some alley-oops but he's not even close to where he was with that stuff goes for some offensive rebounds but then doesn't get back on defense i mean i i think of him as one of these limited starter guys who could maybe start the game for you but he plays 20 25 minutes at the most robin lopez kind of falls in the same category for me at, at age 31 but certainly a guy who could possibly start for you do you want to uh Hassan Whiteside, i think he might opt in so he probably won't be on this list i think aaron baines also probably opts in as well at age 32 to that 5.5 million um anyone else you really want to talk about here what about, what about ennis Cantor? people talking about him maybe making himself some money in the playoffs do you agree with that i think he's made himself some but i it would be hard for me to envision when you look at how many guys are on this list that a team is going to pay him starter money when there are this many options and he even if they think he's better than some of them that he isn't that much better than than all of them i'm interested in kavon looney looney you know had his had that option declined by the warriors and then took the minimum i think there should have been a more robust market for him last year but not every team needs a center like looney is switching a, a more of a switch center than a, a rim protector and i'm also interested in noah vonley vonley somebody that you and i have generally been higher on than front offices and sometimes than other people in our world as well i think there's value there and then the last one is dwight powell i've consistently been lower on dwight powell than some 
Um, and I, I like what he can do, but to me, if somebody is an unambiguous non-starter, like I don't think Dwight Powell can start really on any team. Don't pay those guys money and don't pay those guys money over long term. And so there was that stuff from Mark Cuban. I think he said it on a radio show that they were anticipating bringing him back. And so I'm fine having him on your team. Absolutely. But giving basically any backup center, let's say eight million or more, unless they have real starter upside to me, like because they're young and they can they can really get it. To me, that's a mistake. Yeah. And really, once you get below into these guys and talking about rotation, you know, it would surprise me if any of them get more than 10 million guaranteed. And and that's over the life of the contract. You know what I mean? And if any of them get more than the mid-level for one year, I'd be uh, in the first year, I'd be very surprised. And I think that would also be quite a mistake because I mean, here's here's all these names. And so, all right, you know, is DeAndre Jordan that much better than like Rashawn Holmes, who's unrestricted free agent at this point? Or, you know, Baines, if he opts out, you, you mentioned Looney and Ennis Cantor, you know, maybe he's, it's been tough to evaluate him in this series against Jokic due to the shoulder issue that he's had. And he was good in the OKC series, but OKC is very limited in their ability to get him out in space. And yeah, Cantor's had a couple of okay months with Portland defensively, but he's been one of the worst defensive players in basketball before that. So, you know, definitely someone you think of still as a backup. There's a reason that he opted into his 80 million player option last year, even if it is a more robust player market this year. Ed Davis is out there. Boban, you know, a little bit more limited, but JaVale McGee actually gave the Warriors, or uh, I'm sorry, the Lakers some okay play. You mentioned Vonley. Salah Mejri is someone who no one seems to want. He actually got released and then re-signed to the same minimum contract by uh, the Mavericks, but I think he's someone who can give you solid play off the bench. Joakim Noah came in off the scrap heap and was a solid enough backup center at 34. Kyle O'Quinn at 29, he was buried this year with the Pacers, but he's been given solid backup play uh, over the years. So even Greg Monroe, I think, could come in and be an okay backup center for some teams. He's had some moments in the playoffs here. Uh, and I have him on the fringe area. Same thing with Kenneth Fareed. There's just so many guys here. Uh, I don't really have much else to say on that. You had to turn to the restricted guys now? Yeah, this is a pretty narrow restricted market, which, I mean, considering the ample supply of unrestricted guys, probably a good thing overall for the for them. Porzingis headlines the field despite not playing a single game this season due to a torn ACL. Age 23, unless there was that weird little murmur back in the day that he could would consider signing his qualifying offer I think that's way too much risk and if he doesn't I mean even if he did that he would theoretically be back in the Mavericks but I expect him to sign a long-term deal whether it's in the form of an offer sheet and match or a deal just straight up with the Mavericks I I'm leaning towards the latter rather than the former just, just it's just a feel thing I'm not sure there's much of a difference there uh, one thing I, I've talked about this before is with Porzingis it's sort of similar in a way to D'Angelo Russell where I'm interested in whether the front office prefers him theoretically not saying these are necessarily be on the table would they prefer him on a three plus one or on a five-year deal do they do they think having extra years on this that they'll he'll be positive value on that contract and you know if it's a three plus one then you do run the risk of that guy like like what happened with gordon hayward of them leaving and being a bigger star at that point and just going of their own volition and so those sorts of nuances with the porzingis negotiations will be noted absolutely and also note that the mavericks cannot give him a maximum qualifying offer uh, without vaporizing another 10 million dollars of their cap space they'll be utilizing his 17 million dollar cap hold this offseason and then re-signing him while they do their other business that would take them from 30 million to 20 million that's a big reduction so you could see another team come with a two plus one if the mavericks in fact are not willing and you know it could be a team like an atlanta or a sacramento just one of these teams it's like hey why the hell not we don't we're not doing anything with the space right now we we got rejected here so those are probably the only two teams i would say that might be a danger for that kind of an offer.
Wofford of Porzingis. All, all these other teams are really trying to compete at this point in time. Don't see the Knicks make for. Uh, so I'm guessing that this is going to be more one of these. Okay, if you're Dallas and Porzingis, you want to get him under contract. You don't want to push him towards a qualifying offer, which it's going to be a low qualifying offer too because he didn't play it all last year. He won't make the starter criteria. But we can't piss this guy off. We traded for him to be the centerpiece of the franchise. We gave up two first round picks and Dennis Smith and took on some bad contracts to get him. My prediction is continue to be that it's going to end up somewhere in that Joel Embiid type of territory where there might be a non-guarantee based on that injured knee if he re-injures that again but he would have to be waived for them to reap that you know something where the first three years are guaranteed and then their injury guarantees in the fourth and fifth year that would guarantee with certain amounts of games played or something like that like that's where I see this ending up maybe it's four years maybe it's five and maybe it's a little bit less than the max but I mean he he still has them over a barrel despite the fact that there may not be just some perfect market for him and a team that's really realistically going to come in with the exact offer sheet that he would want and frankly for Porzingis given his injury history he probably would want to get the four or five years rather than a two plus one anyway let's look at Willie Cauley Stein uh, as a rotation guy I have him no starters in the restricted realm Cauley Stein has a big cap hold at 14 million you could see depending on what Sacramento wants to do them not giving him a qualifying offer or probably more accurately pulling his qualifying offer yeah and and worth noting since we haven't really talked about it this this year that that 14 million dollar cap hold is not the same as the offer he could sign you know the the yes. qualifying offer that they can give willie collie is significantly smaller than than that figure yeah currently. and the qualifying offer of course that is the one-year contract that you must offer to get the guy's restricted rights yeah. and when you make that offer his cap hold remains on the board books until he signs that offer and then it would of course go down the actual amount of the offer so er- the eric pinkus has for for a point of reference because collie stein was a high draft pick that's why his cap hold is so high his qualifying offer so the one-year contract he could theoretically sign would be six would be one year 6.3 million still significant yeah and one that actually like it wouldn't shock me if he ended up having to just sign that you know i would be okay with that if i were sacramento i mean they've got giles so i think they believe more in giles we'll see where giles ends up uh uh, they've got Bagley's probably going to need to play some five. They might want to just upgrade at the center position, you know, with the center market being as saturated as it is. That might be the one place where they could really get a difference maker with their, their money as opposed to some of the other positions. And I just don't see them offering any kind of starter money to Cauley Stein. I do think it would be interesting to see him in another system where he could switch more, where the floor was more space, where he could get up for some of those alley-oops. Uh, but, you know, I think he's a little bit of a spacey defender, takes too many shots, uh, like trying to post up or drive or shoot mid-range jumpers when he needs to really more stay in his lane offensively so i'm not a believer in him you know you could see a team like houston loving to have him and him being really effective there but they can't offer him much money obviously and uh there aren't a lot of teams that play that way so you know i think this is one that's headed to an impasse i i mean well we can talk about this more in the sacramento section of what exactly they would offer him but you know i could see him maybe hitting the open market i could see him sign the qualifying offer i don't see any circumstances in which he's going to get a particularly significant offer in restricted free agency you know maybe six million seven million a year might be something it could be one of those things even where he's just like hey i've got this offer you want to just let me out and sacramento's like all right fine you know i I just don't think he's that big a part of what they're for but i could be wrong there we'll see then we've got a a bunch of fringe guys who are kind of interesting to me that's headlined by jordan bell at at age 24 despite his disappointing season yeah bell it it is surprising at times how how underutilized how little 
underutilized Ben with the Golden State Warriors, who can at times run a defensive scheme that really does fit his skill set. But he's been behind basically everybody in their center rotation this whole year, despite, you know, largely doing well last year. The ones that I'm more interested in, more because of just kind of gaming it out, Zubach to me is the actually the Clippers free agent most likely to stay a Clipper just because his cap hold is super low. There's even if he got basically played out of the series against the Warriors last year, there's still plenty of room for him, especially if the Clippers use their cap space this year as opposed to sliding it to 2020. And then Thomas Bryant. Bryant had a a nice offensive season for the Washington Wizards. We don't yet know who their general manager is going to be, but another player who has a low cap hold and match rights. So I'm guessing that will lead to other teams being a little bit more scared off because even if they think Thomas Bryant is the best of these up, A, he's restricted and B, he's on a team that very easily could match him without having to really take any ill effects from it. Yeah, and I I meant to move Bryant and Zubach up into uh, the the rotation category as well. That was uh, an oversight. Um, Yeah, I think Zubach is better than Bryant, but yeah, I think Zubach, it seems like, so yeah, you could see uh, him getting something in the four million a year range for two, three years, something like that, maybe. Um, Bryant, I think just as real problems defensively, he is someone who might get overrated a little bit. He is young at 21, but, you know, was a big part of the Wizards' problems defensively. And yeah, he scores efficiently around the rim, but he was set up very well to do that this year and then you've got a couple other guys frank kaminsky i'm guessing that they're not going to offer him a qualifying offer and he'll be unrestricted at age 26 daniel tice coming off uh, two years of uh, minimum salary with boston but hasn't really been as good this year i think coming off that knee surgery in the offseason you've got a couple of other interesting guys kem birch is one who actually uh, should be in the rotation category as well he's given some really good play to the magic this year I, you know i think he can be another one of these speed backup centers and you know, another one who can provide really good production as a backup center where you're like okay why are we going to pay a bunch of premium money you know we could get someone like him but he, you know i think he's someone who's deserving of you know three or four million a year for a couple of years at age 26 should we talk about the unicornet i think we should talk about ending the podcast we can do that too <laughs> he, he is a restricted free agent at age 24 uh yeah let's uh let's end it here and up in the air when we're going to come back we might wait until friday to do the next show if there are like classic games on thursday maybe we'll do those maybe we'll wait until friday and then we can get uh that game six of golden state and houston in there as well so up in the air a little bit but we'll for sure be doing nba cast tomorrow i think we'll do the end of philly and toronto and then we'll do uh denver and portland game six so we'll see y'all then reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 